Well, good morning. Welcome to you. Welcome if you're in the hall. Welcome if you're watching on YouTube or catching up later on. Uh, it's really exciting to be with you this morning uh, and to be concluding our series on the pillars of our faith. Uh, the five solas that uh, came from the Reformation. Uh, the last one, the one that we're looking at today, is at Soli Deo Gloria. I hope we've got some slides for that. Uh, this is our last uh, pillar of faith. That's fantastic. We usually start with a reading uh, from the Bible. That's the normal way that we do sermons. But I must confess that there are so many verses and passages about the glory of God, it's quite a challenge to find which one to start with today. And in fact, there's going to be a lot of verses. It's kind of a government health warning that comes with this sermon. There's going to be a lot of verses this morning. Uh, so what I've done, a lot of them will be on the PowerPoint, and I'll read a number of them out, but we may be going at a little bit of a pace this morning. So at the end, if it would help you, there are some notes I've left on the table out there as you go out that will list all the verses that I'm going to be sharing from, or hopefully sharing from this morning, uh, in case you just, just, hey, what was that verse? Where was that? Where was that? I want to get back to that one. There'll be a bit of paper out the back there on the table. Do take that if that will help you. But as I said, I'm not actually going to start with a verse this morning. I'm going to start actually with a question from the shorter Westminster Catechism. Oh my word, everybody says, what on earth is that? Well, this came from uh, 1646, 1647. It was a, a number of statements of faith, of truth. And it was a way of unifying the English and the Scottish church back then in the 17th century. And it's actually very fitting because the reason that we're doing this whole series is we recognise the importance of holding on to the fundamental core truths of our belief. So this was a way that they did that back in the 16th century, uh, 17th century. And the way it worked was that the leader of the meeting would, would say something and the congregation would then give a response. So the very, and there's, there's a number of statements in this catechism. A catechism is just a, a fancy way of saying a kind of a doctrine or a statement. But, but the minister or the pastor would say, what is the chief purpose for which man is made? And the congregation would all answer, the chief purpose for which man was made is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Let's actually do that. We're not a traditional church that has a liturgy as such, but, but I'm sure we can manage that. So, uh, so I'll do the first bit, and as a congregation, you can respond. So the minister would say, what is the chief purpose for which man is made? Amen. Amen. And this last sola that we're looking at is sola Deo Gloria. To God is all the glory. We give God the glory. Uh, Father, just help us this morning as we study your word. Just pray that the depths of these truths will stir us and change us. I pray you'd help me to present this well. Uh, above all, this morning, just pray that you will be glorified through what we do. Amen. 
And then in, in previous weeks, we've looked at the other four solas. Uh, Sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola Christos, Christ alone, and sola scriptura, scripture alone. Our salvation is given to us by God's grace alone. It's received by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And all of this is revealed to us through scripture alone. Now, there's no particular order to these solas, but it seems that whenever they're discussed or mentioned or written about, uh, sola deo gracia is the last one. The other four tend to come in any kind of sort of order. We always seem to end up with this one as the last one. Uh, and I don't know why that is. It may be that, that people think it's the most important and we end on a high. Uh, it may be people think it's the least important and we're tacked at the end. Uh, or it may be that people are just not sure what to do with it, so we'll put it at the end anyway. Um, well, I certainly don't think it's the least important, and I don't think it's the most important. I think all of these are uh, equally important. But I think there is something slightly different about soli deo gloria, to God be all the glory. It's also worth saying that uh, as these phrases, as I said, were birthed in the Reformation over 500 years ago, um, they were never kind of presented in such a kind of a neat package at the time. Uh, Martin Luther, his contemporaries, as uh, John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli, would never have spoken of the five solas. It was teachers and scholars who came in the years and centuries afterwards that kind of put that together into these kind of five headings. But it's very interesting as to, to why they're in that order and, and what I see as something slightly different about solideo gloria, to God be the glory, why I think this is important. You see, we live in a very me-centred culture. That's the generation, that's the society we live in. My needs are important. What, what do I need? What do I really, really need? And by the way, I really, really need it right now. That's, that's the culture, that's the lifestyle of the world that we live in. And uh, if we're not careful, sometimes the other solars can actually, in a strange way, almost reinforce that. We become the centre. Uh, how do I obtain salvation? That's a, that's a great question to ask, isn't it? If there's anybody here this morning who hasn't, isn't trusting Jesus as their saviour, I trust you're asking that question. How can I obtain salvation? How is truth revealed to me? These are good questions, but, but again, we are at the centre of all of that sometimes. Solideo Gloria reminds us that all of this ultimately gives glory to God. Whatever we might achieve, whatever we might find, whatever we might discover, even if it's salvation itself... The glory belongs to God. Uh, this is a point that Paul is making in the opening chapter of Ephesians. He says there, we have adoption to the praise of his glorious grace. And then uh, in Ephesians 1 and 13, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire it to the praise of his glory. Now, we love some of the phrases in there. We, we've received the word of truth. We've received the gospel of salvation. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have an inheritance. Now, what is all of that for? 
Is it so that we can say, yes, we have all of this? Well, yes, it is. But ultimately, it's for the glory of God. All things go back to give God the glory. And there's this, this, this idea that's just throughout all of Scripture that everything that happens is ultimately for God's glory. God created the world and the universe for his glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19, verse 1. He sustains the creation for his glory. His glory is seen through his son, Jesus Christ. Christ's return will be to give glory. And he saves his people both now and throughout scripture for his glory. He builds his church for his glory, Ephesians 3.21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You see what I mean by a lot of verses, by the way. They're on the bit of notes out the back there for you at the end. And so Soli Deo Gloria underpins this truth that everything ultimately serves one purpose, to give God glory. Now, indeed, all the solas, <clears throat> they carry a simple idea. There are only a couple of words. Solo Christus, Christ alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. And we've unpacked those. They, are, they do ultimately have a very simple truth in the heart of them. But as I thought about this particular sola, I was actually struck by a number of paradoxes, a number of questions, if you like, a number of things that came to my mind. And really, I want to, want to share those three paradoxes with you as the framework of where I want to go this morning. And we put them up here. Here they are. How do we describe what cannot be described? These are almost like riddles, aren't they? The sort of thing you get in a Christmas, cra well, Christmas cracker. But how do we describe what cannot be described? How can God give something that cannot be shared? And how do we give to someone who already has everything? Those are kind of three of the mysteries that are at the heart of the glory of God. So let's start with the first one. How do we describe what cannot be described? In any study of the glory of God, the first and obvious question is, well, what do we mean by the glory of God? How do we describe it? How do we define it? And as I said before, there's certainly no shortage of verses that talk of the glory of God. But where to start? Where to start? If we were to ask somebody in the Old Testament what they understood by the glory of God, then they, they would actually have a very clear idea. It would usually involve fire and smoke and uh, thunder and lightning. Uh, Moses had this incredible experience of Mount Sinai there. Um, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. This is Exodus 19. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled. Uh, Isaiah had a vision of the glory of God. Holy, 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 the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory and the foundations and the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke that's Isaiah chapter 6 and, and Ezekiel has a vision of the glory of God that goes on for a whole chapter I'm not going to read the opening chapter of Ezekiel I suggest you do that 
in your own time to see Ezekiel's vision of the glory of God. But I love the last verse uh, in that chapter, Ezekiel 1.28, which says, Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. So Ezekiel's had 27 verses of being exposed to the glory of God. And like most of the prophets and the people in the Old Testament who encountered God, he ends up on his face. But you see, if we were to grab hold of Ezekiel and wrench him into the 21st century and, and interviewing us, we just interviewed, interviewed our friends over here, if we were to grab Ezekiel and say, Ezekiel, tell us something of the glory of God. He said, I can't do that. It's too awesome. Oh, okay, okay, let's try something else. Can you, can you tell us something that is like the glory of God? Oh, no, no, I can't do that either. All I can do is, is that verse says, I can tell you something that has the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Such was the, the, the awesomeness of what he was confronted with. He said, no, 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 all I can do is tell you something that appeared to be like the glory of God. John, in Revelation, when confronted with the, the risen Lord, talks of eyes of flashing fire, face like the sun. And again, like all the others, he just ends up face down on the ground as though dead. It's, almost, it's as though there's something indescribable about the glory of God. And so this first paradox is simply that. How do we describe the indescribable. Well, perhaps we can't. Perhaps we can't. Perhaps we just have to accept the, the enormity of what we mean by the glory of God. It's, it's, it's more, if you like, than, than just an attribute of God. It's more than kind of part of God's character. And what I mean by that, if I was to ask you almost an impossible question, I recognise this is a really tough question, but I'll ask it anyway, how would you describe God in one word? Now, if I was to ask you that question, you might well say, well, love. That would be a good answer. The Bible tells us that God is love. You might say holy or righteous or merciful or just. And God is all of those things. They would all be good answers. And you might eventually get to that point, well, God's glorious. Well, yes, he is glorious. But... A good definition of the word glorious is actually great beyond measure. That's what we, we mean when we talk about something being glorious. Great beyond measure. And yes, God is great beyond all measure. God is glorious. But there's something about every attribute of God that is glorious. His, his love is glorious. I have loved you with an Everlasting love, says Jeremiah. God's mercy is glorious. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according not to his mercy, but according to his great mercy. The angels in that wonderful passage in Revelation don't just cry, holy is the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There's something about his holiness that is glorious. His mercy is glorious. His justice is glorious. Every attribute, every aspect of God is great beyond measure. Every aspect of God's character is glorious. We cannot fully describe God in all his glory. That's the point I probably don't need to make this morning. But it should pause and cause us to ponder afresh this idea 
that El glory, this extraordinary giving back to God of everything that is his, because he is a glorious God. The second paradox that I, I thought about was how can God give something that cannot be shared? How can God give something that cannot be shared? Because God's glory is vast and enormous and touches so many areas of our life. And, and there's this great truth in Scripture that God does give us something of his glory. There's a paradox here which I'll come to, but let me share a couple of verses with you first. John uh, 17 and 22. This is Jesus praying for his disciples in the garden. Praying to God and the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that may be what they may be one just as we are one. And then a wonderful verse in Psalm, Psalm 84, that says, The Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows, and depending on which translation you read, either favour and honour or grace and glory. The Lord bestows grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So there's these wonderful verses that talk of something of the glory, something of the blessing of God being given to us. But here's the paradox. There's so many other verses that talk of the glory of God as being something so precious that, that it really only belongs to God. Uh, we've got some other verses there. If we look in Isaiah, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praises to idols. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. That's talking in regard of holding on to his glory. And you know, when I read that verse, I kind of knew there was a verse in Exodus that, that talked about God being a jealous God. Kind of when you put your sermons together, you think, I know there's a verse somewhere that says that, and we've got concordances and Google and stuff. And yeah, I can find that verse in there. What I hadn't noticed was it doesn't just say, I'm a jealous God. It says, whose name is jealous. God is so protective of his glory that he's not going to share it with another. And so there was this paradox. How does God share something that cannot be shared and again, I'm not really sure I know the answer to that question, but, but what I concluded was that we can so often overuse the word glory or use it in inappropriate places. We talk of uh, a glorious victory, thinking of Nelson at Trafalgar, uh, or if you're more into the classics, the, uh, uh, the Greeks at uh, Thermopylae or Plataea as they beat the Spartans. There's a little bit of history for you. Why, why, why does Europe have a Western culture and not an Eastern culture? Well, because of the battles of Thermopylae and Plataea. That's a little bit of, again, the classics for you. You can Google that one in your own time. But we talk of glorious victories. Uh, that, that third division football club, there's one for the football chaplains among us, Steve, when you're watching, and the guys over here. That third division football club that, that knocks the Premier team out of the FA Cup. They had a glorious cup run. Those are the sort of phrases that we use. Well, war isn't terribly glorious. A football game at the end of the day 
is just a football game. Forgive me, football fans. <laughs> I'm probably not making too many friends here. We, we tend to overuse that word glory. And actually, it was interesting, just that verse in Psalm 84, when I, when I first heard that, that psalm, actually I heard that psalm read just recently, just the last couple of weeks, uh, and the guy read it out from a version that said, uh, the, uh, Psalm 84, it says, um, uh, the Lord bestows grace and glory. And, and I was thinking about today, and I was thinking, oh gosh, I think glory is something that God keeps to himself a little bit. Uh, and I was actually quite pleased to look at other verses. Again, my, my quotes are from the ESV, where it says, the Lord bestows favour and honour. And, and you could call me picky, you know, am I, am I going for honour or glory? Well, actually, the only way I kind of resolve this paradox is by saying, I think there's something about the very word glory that almost belongs to God. It's almost like the, the people in the Old Testament that, that didn't actually say the Lord's name because it was so precious and because it was so holy. And so, yes, God does bestow glory on us in a fashion. I think when we ultimately stand before Jesus in heaven, we will be glorified. We're told of that in Scripture. There is a future glory that comes to us. And just maybe that's something of what Jesus was praying in the garden. But, but right here, right now, I kind of want to give the glory back to God. Soli Deo Gloria. Anything that I do, anything that I achieve, anything that I might find or discover, ultimately, I want to push it back to him. It's almost like it's too hot to hold on to. Just burn me. I've got to give it back to God. And then that last paradox, how do we give to someone who already has everything? As we start to move towards this, this third point, this third paradox, Paul says in Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I think for all the verses that I've been quoting and reading and, and looking up concerning the glory of God, I, I think this one is my favourite. I think Romans 11 is the one that kind of really landed for me. I think that really sums it up. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And, and in there, there is a little bit of a paradox still. Because how can all things be given to God unless they do, in one sense, at first rest with us to give back to him? And so this, this paradox again, how do we give to someone who already has everything? God has all the glory but we give him the glory through our lives, through our ministries, through the things that we do, through the way that we live, by the priorities that we have in our lives. We, we determine to, to not hold on to the, the, the glory for ourselves, but to say this belongs to you. I, I love down notices. There's so much happening, isn't there? There's so much ministry. There's so much work going on. Um, and, I, and I think that, that yeah, what I was hearing was, was that people are, are giving this back to God. Uh, Valentina and I were at a wedding yesterday, a wonderful event, just rejoicing in some friends getting married. And Steve, who was marrying the, the not our Steve, Steve at St. John's, when he concluded the wedding, the, the very words that he ended with were, were, were let us pray we, we pray for, I can't remember exactly, I know what the last word was, but he said, we pray for these people. We pray that God will bless them for your glory. 
It just, just hit me. That was how the whole wedding service ended. That couple were committing their lives for God's glory. What they do will be for his glory. So actually, in, in kind of starting to sum up, uh, there's always a danger of saying I'm going to sum up and then still going on for 10 more minutes. I always object to that with people I listen to. I, when I sum up, I really am going to sum up. Um, but, but I want to introduce you very quickly to four people. Sorry, was that, was that a little heckled out there from the front? <laughs> I, I want to introduce you to four people very briefly, who I think will help us understand what we mean by giving the glory to God. First one, let's have the first guy up. Uh, I'm not going to do a quiz, not going to ask you who it is because the name's actually there. Uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, famous composer, uh, 1685 to 1750. I'm pretty sure rather than having a last chorus, if I asked Anna, Anna could manage some Bach. Uh, that's probably putting you on the spot, isn't it? But, uh, but well-known composer, Johann Sebastian Bach. And think about Bach. Whenever he wrote a piece of music, as most composers, when they wrote a piece of music, he would sign his name at the bottom. The other thing that Bach used to do was on the manuscript, when he'd finished, when he was sure that was it, that was how it was going to be, he would write SDG, Solideo Gloria, to God be the glory. And many people would say, that's a glorious piece of music. That is a glorious piece of music. And we might be, and I might be, very comfortable, even with all I've said, using that adjective for a piece of Bach's music. But he would say, no, solideo gloria, all the glory to God. Then we introduce you to another, well, I can't really say friend of mine, he's been dead for a few years, but uh, Galileo, famous scientist, uh, first a uh, person to point the newly discovered telescope to the sky and discover such things as the moons of Jupiter, uh, phases of Venus, so many things about the universe that had not been discovered before. And Galileo is often used, and certainly Galileo's trial by the Catholic Church is often used as an example of science and religion in conflict. Oh, you know, you can be a Christian or you can be a scientist, but you can't be both. And Galileo is a person who's often rolled out to kind of typify that divide. Yet Galileo wrote in his books, the greatness and the glory of God shine forth marvellously in all his works. That's God's works. And it is to be read above all in the open book of the heavens. So when Galileo pointed his telescope to the sky, yeah, he saw stars and moons and planets but he saw the glory of God. Here's my third friend. David Livingstone, hero of 19th century England. He explored places in Africa which had never been visited before. He was a missionary seeking to take the gospel to unreached people groups. He said this, I love this, he said this, I place no value on anything I have or may possess and except in relation to the kingdom of God, if anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving it or keeping it, I shall most promote the glory of him to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. I love the way they used to speak in, back then. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Oh, we would speak like that in these days. I think he's saying, look, it doesn't matter what I have. If, if, if keeping something will glorify God, I'll keep it. If giving it away will glorify God, I'll give it away. 
because ultimately it's all about glorifying God. Here's my last example. I hope I can pronounce the, my South African guys in the room will help me if I get this one wrong. But uh, Tajana Showmaker, uh, famous uh, South African swimmer, world record holder of the 200 metres uh, butterfly. I think she swims faster than I could run 200 metres. Um, something like uh, two minutes, 19 seconds. I can't even do the breaststroke. No, but, not, not butterfly, no breaststroke. I can't do that. I can't even swim that. But she did it in like, just over, under, over two minutes. Crazy time. But one thing she's well known for is on her swim hat. I don't know if you can see it on that picture there. What has she written on her swim hat? But soli deo gloria. To God be all the glory. Because her faith, she said, whatever I might achieve, be it world records, the glory of that I want to give back to God. And then while we're on the subject of South Africa, one last picture. What's written on the one rand coin? What's written on the one rand coin? Soli Deo Gloria. Of all the things that the South African government could have thought to have put on a coin, they put Soli Deo Gloria. To God be the glory. I think that's extraordinary. That was, that was probably one of the first images. Uh, it's giving away all the kind of trade secrets of how we do sermons, doesn't it? You get a subject and you now Google it and see what pictures you can find. And, and that was kind of the first picture I think I found. And so often what you find doesn't make it into the kind of the final cut, the director's cut of the sermon. But, but, but this one I thought was too good to lose. I just wanted to hang on to that one. Soli Deo Gloria. Now, of course, we are not going to probably discover new planets or new countries or set new world records. But I trust those four quick pen sketches will inspire us to think about whatever we do, whether it is glorious or whether it is ordinary and mundane, and challenge us to give that back to God, to say, Soli Deo Gloria. To you be all the glory. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray in, the mo in a moment. I'm just so aware that, uh, uh, that there's so many folks that uh, uh, come here now. There's so many people that are watching online. If you're watching online and this is all new to you, just want you to be aware that God loves you. God cares for you. God knows you. God has an individual desire to bless you and give you good gifts and great gifts so that you too can, can give them back to him. God wants to have a, a very real and a very personal relationship with you. But for many of us in this hall, we've made that commitment. We've said, Lord, I want to walk with you. I want you at the center of my life. I want to, in my daily walk, give you glory. Uh, I trust this morning this has helped and inspired those of us that are already doing that to, to keep doing that and to do that more. But for anybody that doesn't know Jesus as your personal, your Lord and Savior, who, who to this might be a new story, a new thing right now, you're thinking, gosh, how do I do that? Then can I really encourage you to speak to someone that you came with, someone you know is a Christian, ask them to pray with you to find out more about how you can join this family, how you can give glory to God. Just going to close in prayer, then I'll hand back to Josh and Justin. Father, thank you 
for your glory. Thank you that you are an enormous and an immense God. Thank you that you created this universe and yet created us and know us individually. Lord, just pray you'd help us to give you the glory back. I pray you'd help us to hold on to all these truths that we have learnt through this series and trust you and put our lives in your hands. Amen. 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 Amen.